0: Make us ready to receive. Let the weak fall off of us. Give us laser focus in these next moments. May the spirit of revelation come in the room for us as individuals. Let us find ourselves in what you have to say to us today, O God. We pray away offense or anything that our flesh may not be willing to receive. We command our souls to receive your word. Open up our ears today. Open up our eyes to see ourselves in your direction and your holy word. We commit to apply it. It will not be wasted today. Your written Word will not be wasted. The revelation will not be wasted. The wisdom that you speak to us today, oh God, we promise we won't waste it. We accept it and we receive it as instruction. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. Hallelujah. Isn't his peace just amazing? Faithful are you, God? What a blessing it is to be able to make space in the house of God for God. How about that? How about we actually come in here and hear what he's saying to us? I am so excited about what God's doing through um, this in-series There are honestly some topics that we make sure um, that we cover in a year and one of those is always worship. And while it may be different approaches, um, it's such an important part of our life as believers um, that I enjoy being able to learn and even revisit uh, some concepts about such a core part of our relationship with God. Amen. Thank you guys. I am going to continue in week three of the in series. Woo-hoo! Um, when I was getting ready for today, and I was thinking about just the direction that we discussed that we were gonna be going with this series, I thought about um, something that used to happen to me when I was a kid. Um, we used to play outside a lot. And um, we, we made mud cakes and, um, you know, all kinds of very interesting um, things while playing, while playing outside. And we would be out there for hours upon hours. And when it was time to come inside, we would, you know, herd inside, uh, me and my sisters and usually cousins along with. And when we get inside, my grandma used to always tell us, you smell like outside. <laughs> And I'm like, well, I was outside. Like, I don't really, like, I didn't really get it um, until I, you know, became an educator, and the students came in from playing, and it came back to me. And I'm like, they smell like outside, and there's just this distinct smell that's an indication of where you've been and how long you've been there. And so I want to preach a message today entitled, You Smell. And when I think about that concept, it is very indicative of the time that we spend with God, what we spend doing with Him, and how long we take in that place. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1. Uh, When we look in Ephesians chapter 5, we are dropped into, uh, once again, some instructions, some commands for us as believers. And verse 1, it says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma." But fornication and all uncleanliness or covetousness, let it not be named among you as it is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. That means that the two can't exist together. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Many times we have a declaration from our mouth about who we are, about what we stand for, and even about where we've been. The problem is that sometimes the declaration from our mouth doesn't match the smell of our character. And so while we're speaking something, we smell like something else. You can always smell when someone's been to the liquor store. It doesn't matter if they say they were right outside. It doesn't matter if they say they've been at work all day. You can always tell when they made a detour or a stop because it's something about their smell. Even people who tend to hold their liquor a little better, or we call them functional drunks and things like that, there's still something about. About that smell that no matter how much they put on no matter what they say no matter how they can control their demeanors and their outbursts there's something about that smell verse 1 instructs us to be imitators of God how do we imitate well the first way that you imitate is that you actually have to watch And then after you watch, you have to study. Have you ever really um, just admired a person? Anybody ever admired a person? Oh, it's all right. Holler back. There you go. Yes. And when you admire that person, it's funny because you begin to pick up on their habits. And even when you're not trying to copy them because you watch them and then you study them inherently because you have this love, this adoration, this admiration for them. You begin to take on their sayings and sometimes a couple of their antics and sometimes a little bit about the way they dress just because you really like it. Christians are called to be imitators of God and the word here that's used has been used several other times however when it's used this time the meaning of it actually strictly adheres to become not just imitate but imitate and become imitate to transform imitate not just putting on but imitate and actually change your makeup if we are thinking about this fear of imitation of God and then thinking about it meaning becoming him, we're not talking about becoming your own God. We're talking about becoming who he is in his nature. We're talking about not just his forgiving spirit, but every way that he expresses his love to us. Imitation indicates that there's some intimate knowing. When we see celebrities and we like them, we usually don't have common interaction with them. Maybe we don't meet them face to face, but we usually go one more step and start to research a little bit about them. Um, We don't just take their album cover as their album cover. We go and we read the back. Uh, we find out where they were when they actually recorded it. Um, when Aretha went to be with the Lord, uh, we thought about her and for those who were really fans, they had moments, encounters that came to their memory pictures, sayings, recordings that they had that was an indicator that they did not just know her surface or as the public knew her, but they had intimate, exclusive secrets as an indication that they knew her well. When we try to become like those we admire, um, it is a form of worship. Well, How is it a form of worship? It's a form of worship because, remember, we categorize worship as expressing value, worth. And so if this person is something that you're going to imitate, something that you're going to copy, then they must be of some value. They must be of some worth. For some of us, when we worship God, um, we tend to think about how God can help or do for us and his worth stops there because if we are fulfilled we are happy with what we're getting then we don't look any deeper into who he actually is as a character and so when we try to enter into that space of imitating him it becomes a very empty shell of who he really is. This is why people get this sense of Christians being hypocrites. It's not that they're hypocrites, it's just that they don't have the depth and the breadth to continue to imitate and so their level of imitation runs out because they don't know enough intimate details about him. When we become like him, we gradually take on his qualities. Philippians 2 and 5 says it like this, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So literally worship, recognizing the value of who God is, creates the platform for you to actually be transformed by your mind. It gives you the opportunity to begin to think differently and if you think differently then you speak differently and if you speak differently then you act differently when we look at our original scripture Ephesians 5 it talks about the sweet smelling aroma people like Christmas I personally like Thanksgiving and one of the things that I really like about Thanksgiving not the work part, but I like the smells of Thanksgiving. There's something about the smell of a home-cooked meal made with love, your favorite dish, things in the oven, just slightly warm in the house because, you know, it's been a lot of activity, but there's something about that smell, that aroma that comes to you and it Does something for how you behave there are people who may rush there are people who may run around have crazy mornings but once you smell it something happens to our guard something happens to our heart and it opens up God is waiting for that sweet-smelling aroma from us and as we imitate him And we declare his worship, it says that some sacrifices, not all sacrifices, but some sacrifices, they raise up to him like a sweet-smelling aroma. It's pleasing to the Father. When we think about um, the cross and uh, the horrible death of our Savior, I know when I think about it, even when I watch the movies about it, I used to not even be able to stomach the movies because it just was like, it was really almost like a horror story. And yes, redemption came at the end, but it sometimes can be off-putting the work that it takes to actually have this expression of love. For many of us, um, the work that it takes to actually worship is just as off-putting. But the sacrifice of Jesus was his ultimate testimony, his ultimate statement of love to us. And for some of us, because we couldn't stomach the process, we actually never got to the product. And so the process of worship is the process of being broken. The process of worship is the process of being vulnerable. The process of worship is the process of actually smelling the burning and the falling away of your own flesh. And if we're not willing to get through that, then the sweet smell won't be our end. The Apostle Paul, he used a reference, the same reference to the sweet smelling aroma when he referred to his own life and his own testimony in 2 Corinthians. And what he said in 2 Corinthians was that his life, his life, his very life, everything that he did, his daily activities, everything that he spoke out of his word, out of his mouth, would be this sweet-smelling aroma to our Savior. When we think about that, it takes me back to the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, there was um, an example, a display of several sacrifices that people made. Several sacrifices, several offerings that people brought onto the Father. And this is where we get introduced once again to this concept of an acceptable sacrifice and an unacceptable sacrifice. When we think about this, it is this fragrance, a sweet savor that metaphorically is used to talk about worship how do we make sure that we are in the acceptable category versus the unacceptable category? The acceptable category of sacrifices of worship come from your posture of honoring, not just declaring that you're his beloved, but honoring the fact that you are his beloved. See, there's a difference between being someone's child and being proud to be their child. Because for many of us, we can declare that we're his all day long. But if you don't find a sense of pride, you don't find a sense of honor, you don't find a sense of gratefulness, you don't find a sense of reverence in the fact that you are, then your worship comes out of a place of commonality. And so what happens is, well, though we want to be on the acceptable side, our posture puts us on the unacceptable side. On the acceptable side, the posture of love is demonstrated through our worship. And so we realize that the order of service in churches has messed us up. Because if you look at the written order of service, then it always, no matter what order they put it in, there's one part of the service called worship. There's one part. Everything else is entitled for what we know it to be. But I propose to you that when you walk into any worship experience, every single piece of that experience is worship. How can that be worshiped? Because every part of that is an expression of his love. Remember, when we look back at the scripture, it talks about this idea that his sacrifice of Jesus is an indication of his love that in turn ends up coming up to him as a sweet smelling aroma, which means that your worship is not a period of time. It means that your worship is something that you become, not something that you do. How do I become it? I don't have all day sing I don't have all day to listen to music but how do I become it because I become love and because love is his sacrifice and his demonstration of worship I become love and so then love manifests love so that means I worship when I give a kind word that means I worship when I offer assistance That means I worship when I step out of myself and I make a sacrifice to go out of my way to pray with an individual, to give them a smile. Do you know how many people go through their day and they are not on the receiving end of a genuine smile? And it simply takes us to realize that we come here for a gathering. We come here to be the ecclesia. We come here to give instru- get instructions, to receive instructions, to encourage each other. But we don't come here as the place of worship. You become that love. And so not only does love manifest love, but the love motivates love. And then that love that's made possible from the initial love, it makes an experience or an atmosphere for somebody else to experience that same love that you experience that's worship you don't worship by taking his presence for granted you don't worship by taking the sacrifice for granted you don't worship by singing a song that you don't believe you don't worship by jumping up and down as exercise we don't worship by lifting up our hands when they're dirty I am worship when I walk out the door. I am worship when I demonstrate love and sacrifice on my job. I am worship when I declare his word because it's a testimony to his value. How valuable does he look if we look at your life? Does it look like he's worth a couple of hours on Sunday? But not worth enough to remember Monday through Friday. This is how our lives become worship. And we don't contextualize it as one expression. As one expression of singing. As one expression of music. But it is every expression, every gesture that God had in mind to extend to us as a sign of his love. Verse 3 and 4, it continues, and it makes sure that we don't get confused and get to make up what we think is an acceptable sacrifice. Verse 3 and 4, it continues, and it's like, just so I, if I wasn't clear, let me tell you what is not a sweet-smelling savor. Let me tell you what doesn't belong in this aroma that's lifted up to heaven. And it begins to list them, but it reminds me that in the Old Testament, unacceptable sacrifices were sacrifices that were given in partiality. Anytime a sacrifice was incomplete, anytime a sacrifice was just a piece of obedience, Anytime a sacrifice was just a piece of the resources that were called upon, then the sacrifice was seen as unacceptable. Because it was a partial sacrifice. And that's what made it unacceptable. Many of us, we felt like because we are sacrificing, that it should just be acceptable. And this is why we get in service and we're like, give them a sacrifice of praise. And as soon as your arm hurts, you think you've transferred are you like "Ooh, it's hurting me now I'm giving them a sacrifice of praise but if your sacrifice is partial only a piece only a part of what he's called you to it is still an unacceptable sacrifice if he's called you to work in the ministry and you just attend the ministry it's an unacceptable sacrifice because it is a partial answer to the call it lists out fornication and i thought about fornication it's a partial sacrifice because he now has to share you as your soul is tied to someone else it lists out covetousness and i'm like well god is is that one partial and he says yes it is because it shares the throne with something else. When you get into covetousness and envy and desiring something that someone else has, it means that you discredit what you have and what you've been given, and so you raise what the other person has as an idol, and so it's still a partial sacrifice. It notes foolish talking. Now come on God, surely that's not a partial sacrifice. And he says, yes it is. How could foolish talking be a partial sacrifice? Well, he told you very clearly how your mouth operates and he said clean water and dirty water can't come out of the same spout and so it is a partial sacrifice when you enter into foolish talking because on one side you're declaring the word of the lord on the other side you're declaring things that cancel out the word of the lord and so it doesn't matter what you declare because it's still a partial sacrifice when we go Um, to the bathroom at my house I have rules you know you gonna go number two number three you got to spray okay it's only kind it's only courteous we all live here together and even though people follow that rule sometimes when they spray you can still smell. Because now what you run into is like a new kind of like combination smell. Because it's not it's, it's like not as strong but you can still tell that something's not quite Right, And so you want to say it smells good, but it still is not a sweet smelling aroma. We've been offering God our cover up worship. You've been offering him the worship that somebody asked you to do. You've been offering him courtesy worship you've been offering him the worship that looks good that seems acceptable that's your PR worship your PC worship because it would only be fair that if the pastor said lift my hands and I'd be obedient but it's a cover-up worship and it's still not a sweet-smelling aroma because it's filled with mixture and so we lift up our hands, but we still don't trust him. We do our dance, but we still don't believe his word is true. We jump up and down. We even take a couple of laps. But when we get out of here, our declaration doesn't match what we just took a lap about. And so it is an unacceptable sacrifice. There is no inheritance without a complete surrender. There are usually requirements in order for you to take hold of an inheritance. Even when there's the reading of the will, it is mandatory for everyone who's named in the will to be in that place, because there may be certain conditions that you need to follow in order to take hold of that inheritance. For many of us, we want the wheel read to us through somebody else, but we don't actually want to show up to find out what our full surrender has to be. There is no inheritance for you if you are not willing to make a complete surrender. And so we felt like a stepchild that was not given or left an inheritance of the Lord and it's not that your inheritance is not there it's just that you haven't met the requirements yet and so as soon as you give him a complete surrender you can have your inheritance and when uh, people marry it used to not be a question on whether you were going to take on their name or not now people got the hyphenated thing people make all their choices and different things like that but it traditionally and i I'm not judging whatever people do but traditionally the reason why you change your name was to open up the opportunity of everything your new name had to offer it was a sign that you were leaving your old place and entering into your new place but many of us we want to live a hyphenated gospel we want a little bit of the old place and we want a little bit of the new place because it looks easier and because it requires less sacrifice and because it feels better and because that way my old people can recognize me. Unless you think I'm talking about in the natural, I get it, on Facebook your high school friends can't find you if you don't have your maiden name, I get it. But I'm talking about your relationship with the Lord. I'm talking about how you want to hold on to old habits and grab a hold of new promises. I'm talking about how you want to stay in the same places, but you want the blessing of the Lord to make you rich and add no sorrow. But you brought all the sorrow with you and you refuse to let it go. It's an unacceptable sacrifice. Our singing, our praying, our studying His Word, our communion, our giving, they are designed to bring us closer to the Lord. This is why in His Word, He says, Draw near unto me, and I will draw near unto you. We've wanted Him to do the wooing, but we didn't want to do any of the drawing. In the 90s, um, we used to say people had a stank attitude just stank i don't know what her problem is you know that that was our nice way of like talking about people they say all kinds of stuff about people now but the worst thing you could have said was you know she got a stank attitude many of us are those that others meet And it's a missed opportunity to be a sweet-smelling aroma. Because the way that we entreat people is in a way that does not imitate God. It's mind-boggling to me, the parking lot hacklers of churches across America. How do you leave a space of worship and corporate offering onto God? You can barely make it past the tent or the foyer. And you've picked up your old, nasty, dirty, filthy habits. How dare you walk out of corporate worship? Because remember, you are worship. And when you don't reflect him, it just shows how little you think of him. But you leave corporate worship and you evaluate different individuals. You leave corporate worship and you have something negative to say about the word that was preached. And let's be careful because so long as the word that was preached is the word of God, let it hit you. I don't care what you have to say about it. If I'm preaching the Bible, you shouldn't have anything to say against it. Why? Because the Bible is his word. I'm just a messenger. But we leave corporate worship. We leave corporate worship and go sleep with somebody we were just in corporate worship with. So then how much do you actually value the sacrifice? How much have you actually taken hold of this concept of being a sweet smelling aroma you stank how dare you offer him up something that has been tainted and waste the grace of God we may not be perfect but there's a certain response that you have to encounters with God stuff falls off in his presence If you commit to being with him, to remaining with him, I dare you to respond to temptation by lifting up your hands and opening your mouth. But we've become lazy with our worship. We've left our worship at churches. Our worship is sitting under pews. We've left our worship in a computer. We left our worship on a CD. And we think it should be convenient to worship him. It is inconvenient to be transformed in the place of worship. It is inconvenient to be telling myself that I have to become someone else to become a sweet smelling savor. But it's still what he called me to. I don't care if it hurts. I don't care if you don't like the way it sounds because we say things about churches and houses of worship that they want me to change yes we do but we think that god wants to be our necklace we think that he wants to be a bracelet we think that he wants to be a blazer that we put on top of what we already are oh no he wants to change your entire wardrobe oh no he wants to do a work from the inside he wants to do a work on your mind yes he wants you to change and anybody who's committed to your growth, anybody that's committed to your purpose, anybody that's committed to your forward movement, guess what, they want you to change too. This place of worship, This place of worship, it honors and it magnifies God. And it says that not only am I a human, but I'm a human that has the spirit of God living inside of me. And literally the spirit that lives inside of me is able to magnify and become greater than this flesh that I was born into. Unfortunately, our worship hasn't gotten to the space of transformation, Because we think that we don't have the power, the will, the strength, the wherewithal to overcome life and its temptations. But that means that we've limited worship. We've limited worship. Nothing wrong with being excited about coming to the house of God. The Bible declares, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. But there are benefits of the house of the Lord that are not synonymous with you being able to worship. Because see, we shouldn't be desiring to get into the house of the Lord because we need to get into worship. When people say that, I understand what they mean, but it still makes me sad. Because that means that they felt like they couldn't worship at home. And once again, I'm not saying that there is no benefit of the house of God. I'm just saying it's other benefits. It's different benefits. You don't have to get to the house of the Lord to get and enter into true worship, true declaration of who he is. And then out of that space of true worship that you live in daily, then that's what makes you even push even more because you know what you're bringing to the table in the house of worship. Many of us, we don't bring anything to the house of worship, which is why we get in the house of worship. It's so hard to push and press and get there and focus and extract what it is that we need because we've come in a blank slate and he never designed it to be that way. He always designed it for us to come in and strengthen one another. Where does that strength come from? It comes from the joy of the Lord where does that joy come from it comes from revelation of who he is where does the revelation of who he is come from it comes from imitating him being intimate with him studying him and becoming and knowing who he is what happens as a result of that knowing as a result of that knowing I can't do anything but declare how worthy he is how valuable he is what he's done for me what he's done to me and how he's changed me People used to sing a wonderful change has come over me And I and I and it's an old song and I I love that song because when I think about that song it makes you really consider who you were and who you are now and how wonderful it is that he could tame your tongue how wonderful it is that he could affirm you in a way where you didn't need it from men or women how wonderful the change is that every statistic that was against you everything that your neighborhood said you would be everything that your socioeconomic status said you would be everything that the diagnosis said you would become a change has come over me and it eradicates everything that I was and now I find freedom when we worship we develop the trait of forgiveness When we declare who he is, because you can't declare that he's a redeemer and not want to become a redeemer yourself. You can't declare that he's savior and not want to help to bring others into that revelation. In worship, that's where we get the trait of social justice. Because he left the 99 and went after the one. And so in his presence, and as I declare out of my mouth who he is, as shepherd, I become shepherd. I take on the trait of righteousness. I take on the trait of purity. I take on the characteristics of who he is and what he has always been and what he forever will be. It is worship that you are transformed by the renewing of your mind. What do you smell like? What does your speech smell like? What does your attitude smell like? Does it smell like you've been with him? That you live with him? Or you've never met him? One of the most annoying things about laundry to me is when you put clothes in the washer. And then they stay in the washer because nobody remembers to transfer them to the dryer. But we've become sour Christians. Because we let them wash us. But we didn't actually let them finish processing us so we sat there and wasted the washing and now we've become sour and still a smell that can't be stomached but today he wants not just for you to get a revelation of worship and the transforming of it but he wants to transform you stand to your feet when that old character, when it rises, you have a response. You go back in. In is the place where the woman with the alabaster box, that's where she found herself. She found herself in. And once she got into true worship, you know what her reputation it didn't even matter sin fell off of her embarrassment fell off of her the need for affirmation the need for people pleasing it fell off and she went to his feet do you know That the role of washing of the feet was usually left to the slave, not even the servant, but the slave. Many of us, we enter into worship, but we enter into worship as if we're the king. You're not the king. Humble yourself. And everything... That was on her back. It fell off because she had no recollection. She was brainwashed. She was oblivious to the thoughts of those standing around. The king was there. But how many people in the story actually worshipped? How many people in the story actually realized what his value was? that smell that filled the room. Even in the chapter of Luke, as that woman ran and she dropped to her feet and she became undone because it says she wiped his feet with her hair. They didn't wear their hair down like we do. Their hair was usually tightly wound which means that she had come completely undone. She broke tradition in her worship. She broke judgment in her worship. And she became a new person. No longer ashamed, but now proud because of her Savior. No longer cast out. But accept it because of her Savior. Open up your mouth and begin to give him a shout that indicates your value.